how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. In episode 501, I sat down with screenwriters Michael Green and Amber Nozumi on Netflix's Blue Eye Samurai. The story is about a young warrior named Mizu, played by Maya Erskine, who's driven by revenge against those who made her an outcast in Edo period Japan. This is the writing team's first project together, but Michael Green's credits are pretty mind-boggling. He has credits on Logan, Alien Covenant, Blade Runner 2049, Murder, Murder on the Orient Express, Call of the Wild, American Gods, Death on the Nile, and A Haunting in Venice, to name a few. In this interview, we talk about the Wandering Swordsman and their research, which includes watching the 1973 film Lady Snowbird, some logistics of their writing process, why research is actually often just stalling, and some advice on pitching and public speaking. Here's my conversation with Michael and Amber on Blue Eye Samurai. Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, it's funny. I've st started declining that question because the circumstances that existed when I got started are so wildly different. I mean, it was dial up internet at best. And uh, the, the, the physics have changed so much that it's like a quaint little story. And when people ask, you know, how'd you get started? They're often thinking like, what's the trodden path. And I, I have a very concrete memory of um, going to hear my then favorite playwright, Neil Simon speak. Uh, when he put out a biography, an autobiography. And I was so excited to see him and hear him. But also I had my question ready. I was going to say, how did, you know, tell me how you got started. And in his little talk, you know, in his reading and also reading the book, uh, he did tell the story of how he got started. And I realized, oh, darn, uh, to get where he is requires an entirely new path. And I'm not sure where he is exists either. So I feel like I'm not quite as old as Neil Simon was at that time, uh, and no one calls me Doc. But um, I, I politely defer the question and say I, I would. I've heard so many more interesting stories of how people got started in the last five years uh, that's so much more interesting and relevant and of the moment. If you're looking kind of across your career before we get to the newest um, projects, is there like a type of character you lean towards? Is it just gritty characters, is it anti-heroes? What do you think about that? I I love anti-heroes. I, um, I think just as a woman, this idea of the goody two-shoes girl next door has always annoyed me. Um, the girl who looks perfect and acts perfect and I don't relate or find it interesting unless um, I'm rooting for her and against her at the same time, I guess. Maybe that says something about yeah. my own inner psyche and my therapist might have something to say about that, but that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm more selfish about it. Any, any character who has a degree of specificity that's so unique to them that you can put them in situations and know how they'll behave and it creates story. I did an interview with um, John Fusco a couple of years ago who wrote, wrote Young Guns and The Highwaymen. And we talked a little bit about 
the lone gunslinger and the wandering swordsman, um, samurai and Western myths, uh, you know, origin stories. Do you guys have thoughts about those characters? Where did you kind of begin the research for Blue Eye Samurai? Two different questions there. Yeah. Um, Still do whichever one you want. I mean, the research began with um, watching a lot of movies and reading a lot of books. And um, first, you know, for entertainment, I guess, we had watched the Zatoichi movies and we watched, you know, Lady Snowblood. And of course, you can see a lot of Tarantino inspiration in our show but we wanted to start like what 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 were the inspirations for like kill bill so we kind of went we went back further and then after that um it was getting into actual history books and seeing what we could draw from real history that would um inform inform our story and broaden the purview of the world and then um, you know as, as for like the gunslinger and the you know ronin it's stranger comes to town you know, mystery. And, you know, in a movie, you can keep them a lot more opaque for almost the duration. You know, you can literally have one of the most famous gunslingers in history be called the man with no name, right? And that's fun. Uh, in television, what's fun on the other side of the mirror is uh, starting with that and then slowly scratching and uh, forcing them almost despite themselves to have to talk and give up. And uh, spending more time with them so that we are the only ones who bear witness to what the gunslinger, the, you know, wandering samurai, the Ronin uh, is actually experiencing emotionally. Was this always meant to be eight episode series? You've written a, a ton of movies. Uh, what are some of the thoughts about, is it just about the character? What are some of the thoughts went into that? Uh, th this was a TV show. Uh, I've come out, you know, uh, our background is television and, you know, I've written, I, I started in TV and still am in TV, but, you know, features was more of a late life edition, later life edition. I keep sounding like I'm 80 in this answers. Um, <laughs> I feel like it today. Um, we, we, you know, eight episodes was the first season is the first season. We want to tell, uh, you know, at least th two, three more seasons. We, we have a full story. We want to tell this thing ends with, um, a springboard into the next journey. The story you come up with tells you whether it's a TV or a feature. Um, sometimes the assignment, I mean, you know, if someone hires you for a movie, you're writing a movie. Um, but when you're coming up with- But I think I think somebody like Mizu's character, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't going to be told in a 90 minute or two hour movie. This character has a long journey to go on and it wasn't going to even be told in eight hours so yeah. um i mean you could do it as installments like you know lone wolf and cub was a film series uh and you know they made the first with full intention of making more and it's you know the beginning of a long saga so mizu's story is a saga what's some of the logistics of your writing process we talked a little about research but do you guys literally sit side by side do you, how do you kind of go about it Oh, we cannot sit side by side. Uh, we listen to different music and we eat different snacks that would annoy each other. Um, usually, I mean, for, for this, we kind of divided up scenes and and then we would exchange our scenes and give each other notes on the scenes and then at some point smash it together. 
like a little Franken baby mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> you just send it back and forth until we were both happy, I guess. That's that sound about right. That's about right. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a fairly honest answer. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with writing teams because, you know, sometimes they're right by myself. Sometimes Amber writes by herself. I've written uh, with other people from time to time. Uh, I come out of, you know, again, television forces that because there's so much to do. You're, you need it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's anytime you write something with someone else, it becomes an intimate process that you just have to find your way. But whenever I talk to longstanding teams, I say, okay, how do you divide it up? And, uh, you know, and know how to ask the questions to get the real skinny. And it's, you know, a lot of them have like pretty unspoken, but formalized, um, routines they go through to know, you know, how to, how to change each other's stuff, how to suggest things to one another, um, to keep it because, your partnership you can't piss each other off you can't be a schmuck about it you have to you have to be you know kind and thoughtful and... i don't know how how married teams write together though i've been asked too many of them I because have. okay yeah all right but i mean it's, I, it's we, a marriage anyway well if we were sitting together i think it would be like what do you what do you want to make for dinner tonight if you were just <laughs> uh, who's, who's picking up the kids you know it would, i think yeah. too much of life is a distraction from the work if, yes if we're it was it was often us together against the world trying to just get through scripts despite things like um you know quarantine uh, and whose turn is it to make lunch for the kids while they're on homeschool is there any like really good advice you've gotten from ask, asking that question that you've implemented yeah t tons um uh I'll, I'll give you two just come to mind uh when i well I'm, um, I want to say it was Wernick and Reese who told me this, and I'm pretty sure it was. Um, they they would, uh, you know, they they each write their scenes and then they put it together and then they exchange the scenes. And um, then they, you know, do do a pass on each other's stuff uh, or make a note, hey, can we can we beat something here? And the unspoken rule is you if someone if someone changed a line to something else, you can change it again, but you can't change it back to what it was. <laughs> It has to be forward momentum. So it's like, hey, I had a problem with this. You know, maybe they articulate it. Maybe it's just, yeah, I could beat it. So it's just, okay, here's my suggestion for it. Do you want to beat that? And generally, you know, the other thing is make sure whoever writing you, whoever you are writing with, you love their work. Mm -hmm. So that when you get their scenes, like when I would read stuff Amber would send me, it was fucking delightful because I loved the scene work. And, uh, you know, it was the evolution of things discussed in a much more artful, concrete, expanded way. So that when you open the email and get the scenes and add it to the scenes you just put down, um, it's a joyful process as opposed to a deflation, uh, which, which you know, means you're probably in the wrong partnership. Are there any thoughts about strengths and weaknesses in a partnership? Like one person's better at something than the other? Or how do you think about those things? Well, I'm sure that um, every partnership people have their strengths and weaknesses i will just i will just say that no. it, i will just say weaknesses no no, no. no. okay Definitely. i mean but i think i think that everybody knows what they're it's a little bit of the not it maybe. yeah like a, i i don't want to i don't want to write that scene how about you do it and it, there can be there's definitely that it's whenever you're dividing stuff stuff up you can definitely feel like some someone's got it in their teeth what are you excited for someone feels like they have it and that doesn't mean that they're better at one type of piece or another. Uh, the thing that you always have to remember when you're in a writing team is that the pronoun for writing team is we. 
and there's never a, you know, certainly not in an interview with a very kind stranger, um, <laughs> any sort of dividing up of, I did this, we, you know, I prefer to do that. And, and when I've spoken to students who are in writing teams and I hear that, I always say, listen, you just embrace it. While you have an ampersand in your, uh, right, in your script, you guys are a we, and though you might fight vociferously in your private, in every meeting, notes call, dealing with your staff, you know, when you're working with your team, you must be a unified front because the worst possible thing you can put, well, first of all, you can't show that those fractures if they do exist, but the worst thing you can do to the people who trust you enough to work on your show is to have to endure your internal process on their time. Uh, I've worked for writing teams that fight in front of the babies and you just, it, it it's dispiriting uh, and, um, makes everyone feel like they, you know, it's the two-headed hydra is what we used to call it. Uh, who are we working for? People need to know it's a we. Is there anything about the writing team that's maybe changed your own individual work? You kind of start to maybe change habits or anything like that? Ooh. I'm sure. I'm trying to think what those habits would be. I mean, I, I think... You make me nicer and make you less nice. <laughs> I think when you're writing with somebody, um, you're maybe a little more cautious with your time because you don't, if you say, I'm going to, I'm going to be finished with it by tonight. You don't want to let that person down as much. Um, um, That's good. Yeah. Is there ever a point where you're you're both stuck on something? Is the answer generally more research or just having a conversation about it? Like, what do you do? And any examples that come up from the show? Um, we had. I, I feel like we had some. I'm going to just bring one example up. We had a a fight sequence, and we were trying to figure out what would be the best way for Mizu to get out of this. Uh, you Situation. know, fight predicament she was in, and we we actually were trying to figure out the physics of it, and got out action figures together, and we're trying to how would this action figure do it? And we even got in our hallway, we're trying to see if what was humanly possible, and I think we just kind of figured out together what would be the best uh, the best way for her to get out. Of yeah, it. I mean, if you're stuck, it usually means you you need to take a step back, and you're not where you should be. Uh, you might have painted yourself in the wrong corner. Um, research is rarely the answer. I find a lot of writers use research as an excuse to not write. And I would, this is, uh, for me personally, at some point you have to stop researching and start writing and move forward and then go back to your research after you've got something finished. Um, because if you're saying, oh, I can't write yet, I need to finish my research, you are stalling. <laughs> Or the research say, takes you too far in another direction, yeah. and you're like, I need to rewrite this whole thing. <laughs> uh, but but a very practical answer to your question is, um, in television, you get to work with wonderful other people. Ask them. Don't be afraid to say, hey, we're a little stuck on something. What do you think? And sometimes just in the telling of the question, you'll find it. Or you, um, uh, you, you get, you know, even someone from another department, they'll have their take on it. And... It'll, it can help you break out of your corner. So one thing about this genre is that the action is meant to push the story forward. Um, are there any other rules you think people might miss around the action genre or this type of genre? 
Um, I would imagine many people just want the action to be cool and they miss the emotions that we're following. What are the emotions of the, the character I'm following? What is he or she feeling? And sometimes it's like, no, nah, I just want to watch a lot of cool action stuff, but we yeah. need, it needs to be part of the story, part of the character. Action is, it must be a character beat, a story beat. Otherwise it's cuttable. And if you have just something cool for cool's sake, it's cuttable and your resources are too limited and it's going to get cut or it should get cut or it's just boring. Without, um, without giving away too many plot details, perhaps, was there a certain North star that you both had in mind for the show that would make some of those decisions easier, like to make sure you're going in the right direction? Well, we knew our ending uh, without giving it away. I mean, we knew the ending beats of almost every episode and we knew the ending of the first season. So you have a North star, you, you have a tuning fork of that. And we knew where we wanted her arc for the season to end, you know, so we knew where we were going that and, you know, story-wise. We knew, yeah. yeah. So you can change your mind as you go, but you want to be writing towards some concrete decided ending. Um, you might find that your ending is really your midpoint uh, or you might, but, but if you don't, you know, have an expectation of where you're going, it's going to be very hard to define an arc. Otherwise you're just treading water and the audience can feel it. Hmm. or you're writing an anthology and that's cool too. <laughs> what, what are the things you guys both do outside of the writing to kind of carry the story forward? You miss You mentioned listening to music, but different types of music. Is it like, do you make a soundtrack? Do you make a lookbook? What are some things you might do besides the writing itself? Hmm, like while we're writing, um, for this in particular, I would go and look at art, especially since it was animated, um, just to kind of give me inspiration to get myself into the feel of the period. And it's there's so many distractions around that sometimes it's hard to like actually get your brain to enter that world. So I would listen to music, close my eyes, take some visual inspiration from art of the time, uh, and then just try to shut everything out. You. <laughs> you got a good answer. Are there things um, you do in this screenplay that may be different? Like in some some writers don't describe a ton of action in their action script. They kind of leave it up to the director. What's different about this? Anything with to do with animation? Yeah, we were, we were very careful in this one specifically to call out to direct on the page much more than you might. Um, we called out individual shots, and we were specific with our storyboard team that those were shots and that, you know, occasionally they might be interpretable, but a lot of times we were really specific on the line of what we intended, what we needed visually, um, whether it was atmospheric details or, or um, you know, whether we're in a close-up or a two-shot or a medium, uh, we were really diligent about that. And similarly with action, um, in this case, as probably with, with any action, I write, you know, we, you know, that we would go about, um, you, you do have to write your action scenes, you know, you know, like you have to write what's the character step, what, how is it a scene, what's character saying and doing, and you have to design a concept for it and emotional stakes for it. And you know that a director might, you know, like in, in a feature, for example, a director and stunt team might then plus that, but you are responsible to give them something to plus. 
Um, that is your job. So there's no insert director's action scene two here. That is not writing. That is uh, biding time. Um, so we we did you know we we our action scenes were all very well defined in what type of you know it's against a cliff. There are four guys. Here are the stakes. Here's the high point. Now that doesn't mean we didn't give it to our previous team and our um, storyboard artists uh, and the director of that episode, Ryan O'Loughlin, uh, who then did incredible additions to it, um, making it signature beyond what we'd come up with. But but it was up to us to give them the thing they could springboard off of into the greatness if you came. What was the timeline like from? origin of, of the idea when you first started to getting this made for those who are not familiar with that type of process it was very long it was a very long break. um the the first seedling of the idea was over 15 years ago but we didn't start writing till but it was about four and a half years ago that was it was a pitch to netflix we wrote it uh got greenlit and then it took but it took like four years well, yeah, of production. Of uh, production, in, yeah. Yeah, three, three plus years in production uh, just to get the animation up and running and then going, you know, building that machine. Um, and this, was, from, a compl from this pitch, was complicated. This was a complicated yeah. uh, show, different sort of animation style, so. And just finding that. Finding, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, pitch to Greenlight was a fairly short right. process. Writing scripts was a fairly short process. Um, script to screen, very long uh, fun labor of love. Do you have any advice for um, younger writers trying to break in about pitching? I mean, I know you've been you've been pitching for years. Any advice or anything that's kind of changed for you over time? Um, I'm not great at it, so no. <laughs> like you, you just have to find a version of you you can be uh, to communicate. Um, you don't have to be perfect. You can read off your notes. It's fine. Um, actually, here's a good concrete piece of advice. Um, take an acting class, take an improv class, take a public speaking class, because far more of screenwriting involves having to communicate verbally than you think, uh, including pitching. And you don't want the first time you're in a meeting and everyone turns to you and says, okay, go to be the first time you're in a meeting. Like you want that to be in the safe zone. You want you want to learn, because those are techniques that are teachable and you know uh, pr uh, transmittable of just how to communicate. So um, for, you know, I didn't, for me, it was taking improv classes in college that I thought were fun. And it ended up being incredibly helpful uh, because you learn how to trust, you, you learn how to build and trust your ability to communicate. I have a very small one. Your nervous energy, just make that energy. Yeah. Just make it. I'm feeling this these this nervous energy. Just make it that I am a delightful person and I have lots of energy for you. Yeah. The execs know that you're not an actor. Yeah. So just run with it. Was there any um false beliefs you had about screenwriting before you really made it a career? Anything you thought it was this, but actually it's this. On our show in particular, I thought there would be, I, I didn't realize how much non-writing, how much producing we were going to do, that the writing part was actually the easy part. The easy part and did not take very long. <laughs> it was a 
all the other all the other things that yeah. you have to do when you're running a show. Yeah, show run show running is uh, about doing a million things and then stealing time to write. Um, uh, I think one of the the I guess the biggest surprise is it's a lot less writing a spec and selling it. Um, uh, I would say um, the other thing is that the people on the other end of the table, your execs, are not generally not the bad guys. They're actually really the good guys trying to help you rub a bank together. Uh, they just have different sets of problems than you. And if you can understand what their problems are, you can get through that heist a lot better. I would just do uh, one more for each of you. Um, last question. You got a lot of great advice already. Any advice to writers trying to find their voice, like how to discover who they are on the page? What is the most interesting thing about you? What is the most, what is most important to you? What is the thing that you have to say that nobody else could say? And find a way to say it. And you can say it, you can say that in comedy. You can say it in genre film. I mean, you can say it in any way, but as long as it's your unique voice, that's what gets people's attention. Who, who, what can you write that no one else could write? It's a great answer. It's a great answer. Um, don't assume that what you like is what you're going to be great at. Um, you know, you might love rock and roll, but you have an operatic voice, then you're an opera singer. So lean into that. Um, it doesn't mean you can't love what you, you know, um, and it doesn't mean you can't train yourself to be a slightly different type of writer or somewhat different type of writer, but um, yeah, you might surprise yourself with what you're actually great at versus what you thought you'd be great at because you liked it. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.